This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Prepare to get caffeinated. Oh, good morning. Hi. Yeah. Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. It's good to be back. Been on the road quite a bit lately. Yes, actually, you have. We need to start like a month ago. But first, let's uh, let's talk about this stuff. What do we got here? This is this is this month's, right? You know, if you're gonna do pumpkin spice, you might as well do it uh, with a little bit of gusto, flair, and uh, horrific wonderfulness. The headless horseman roast. I like this art. Really good. Who did that? Uh, that was uh, Miss Mister Chris Hunt. Oh, nice. With a little really bit of well. Gary Stevens sprinkled in there. And uh, this is something that's very special to Evan. Uh, We've been hearing about this for over a year. So, Circus Bear. Um, I don't know why we... Uh, I believe it's named after a friend of his. Like, they called... It was somebody that he worked with at the agency that they called Circus Bear. I mean, I guess that's why he's got night vision, a chainsaw, a shorty, M4. And we're a gonna need, Yeah, we're going to need him to come in and, and give us the story, but... Yeah, you've been on the road for a while. You were, you started with a hunt. What were you hunting? I did a mule deer hunt in Arizona. Um, and then from finishing up that, I got skunked on that. Mule deer, desert mule deer is pretty difficult. Really? Just like how like you're hunting on public land. There is a ton of environmental factors you're not typically uh, taking into account. For example, like how, just how dry it is out there. Mm-hmm. So like these things are just apt to hear you. You said Arizona or West Texas? Arizona. Okay, so... Arizona, yeah. High desert. High desert. Everything's dry. Everything's loud. Uh, And then in the middle of the day, you have, like, the heat creates these, like, little uh, thermal swells that, like, swirls all the wind. So, like, trying to play the wind correctly uh, is super difficult. I would would chalk it up. It's definitely the one of the hardest hunts I've done to date. Um, And although I didn't come back with anything in my freezer on that trip. Um, it was definitely uh, a really good learning experience for me, just getting into the weeds on like how to take that next step of stalking in the woods on a like very uh, sketchy animal. Yeah, well, what I mean, with it being in the desert and stuff, are you just parking on water or what's the strategy behind finding these things? Typically, you would like kind of sit on water, but because uh, not only Texas, Arizona, New Mexico has gotten so much water this year that there's just water everywhere. So sitting on water is really not going to do anything for you this year. So you're basically doing a a spot and stalk type hunt to where you're going to, you're going to go to a place where you've got good visibility, you know, either an area low where you've got a lot of uh, elevated terrain to look at, or you're on elevated terrain and you're looking down. And you're you're just using your eyeballs to hopefully find something, and then you're planning a move after you find something uh, to go and uh, get within bow range. Oh, so this was bow, not rifle. I was yeah. just gonna ask that. Oh, if it was rifle, yeah, it would have been, been easy fine. Day. Easy day. Like I got within <laughs> 150 yards of of a, a buck at least um, a half a dozen times. Oh, wow. It's it's that like once where the the usual hunters hunt 
ends as far as a rifle hunter, like that's where the archer's hunt begins. Um, and everything becomes immensely harder as you're moving within that 100, yeah, 150 that's, yard that's line. Sick. I'm not into the archery thing just because it's like you see the animal and then you've got to get up to it. Yeah. It's like, oh, that just, there's a lot of risk there. There's a lot of risks there. there. There's a lot of ways to fuck it up, to be honest with you. Like between, you know, each of the senses that these things have and just the wind kind of screwing you, uh, potentially, um, it, it, it chalks up to a super difficult hunt. And then, uh, you know, like both the hunt that I did in Arizona, both last year and this year, out of like 10 hunters, like only one person got a buck. Really? Yeah. So Josh, Josh Smith. Montana Knife Company. He was the only one that connected this year. Um, and then Jamie Shira, uh, who's in the Sornax, uh, one of Baker Levitt's buddies, uh, was the only person. Both those guys connected day one, morning one, and then nobody else connected the rest of that trip. Jeez. Yeah, so it, it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, and then, you know, you're like, you, you, you're kind of second guessing yourself a little bit. Like, oh, am I really that capable of a hunter? You know, it's just playing mind games. It's such a roller coaster event, which is why I love hunting and do it in the first place. Um, and with the amount of water there, I really wanted to take a, a muley home and put them in the freezer. But <laughs> so that night I drive from Arizona up to Utah for a BRCC hunt and exact opposite. Hunt to hunt. Hunt to hunt. Hunt to hunt. And day one, morning one, an hour in. Uh, the stars align, and I've got a bull on the ground oh, immediate. So, yes. Uh, rifle or bow? Bow. Whoa. Again. Yeah. Oh, you guys were up at Deseret, huh? Yeah. Okay. So, first day, you get a bull. First morning. Oh, yes. God. Yes. <laughs> who were you with? How did you draw straws, or who got to shoot first? Uh, so we all we all split up into groups of two, and uh, we had we had a few rifle hunters on that one. Few few bow hunters. I was with Jay. Jay Orvis. Oh, wow. Um, nice. The last time he was on the podcast, he was promoting his book, uh, Black Autumn. Yeah, he's got quite a few out now. Uh, which he's he's actually like doing pretty well on the, the Amazon charts still. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's doing really well. It's like a it was like a post-apocalyptic book. I Survival am, stuff. Yeah, it's about all of us yeah, like he, after the world ends. Yeah, um, and he wrote it before all this shit started going down in 2020, which is interesting. <laughs> um, Very interesting. But yeah, so I was him and he's like, hey man, uh, it was his first time out there. He's like, I, I want you to go first and literally just walking down a game trail. And uh, I punched forward ahead like 80 yards and I look to my left and there's, <clears throat> I, I see a nice, see a nice rack and I don't quite get a, a good look at it to confirm anything, but I, I just hear this bull moving in a semicircle in front of me. And then it, it comes to my 12 o'clock and I see it's, it's fifth and sixth times on the right side and they're, they're spread. I'm like, okay, this is like, this is a really nice shooter. And like identifying, um, a, a really good bull is like a whole thing that I've like tried to develop over the last few years. But, um, so Basically, just kind of followed this guy down the game trail yeah. and get down there. And uh, he's just munching away, eating right off the game trail. Like, perfect opportunity. I just square up, face right. And I just wait for him to give me a broadside shot. One arrow, through and through. He's down in like 50 yards. 
And like, I was like, oh my God, after going through six all days with- of a roller coaster down in Arizona, <laughs> I'm done morning one uh, on that, that Utah bowl. So it, it was, it was a roller coaster. And then immediately going from that uh, up to New York for the 9-11 anniversary. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, Marty, I linked him up with Dan Crenshaw early on because Dan was the one that really had the, that had this great idea for a piece for 9-11. And he's like, I've got this firefighter that was, that was on the ground when both buildings came down. Like, we're going to go back. He's going to walk us through everything. He's like, but I don't know who could make this. I was like, duh, coffee or die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I linked those guys up. They shot the week prior because uh, I was in Florida out at Herbert Field for a retirement for my buddy, Senior Master Sergeant Stefan Jorgensen, retired after a little over 20 years as a combat controller at the 23rd STS. It was really awesome. Got to hang out with a lot of my old friends cool. and uh, was there for the 11 year anniversary of Mr. Danny Sanchez, who's from the 23rd, knew all those guys. So we went out and, and did a little thing for him as well. Uh, but yeah, got to watch the the production that Marty did. And then you were with Marty essentially like three or four days later after they filmed. Yeah, yeah. Marty was bouncing all over the place too. And, and that video, um, like hearing that recount of what it was like there on the day of and then going to Ground Zero uh, 20 years later and, and seeing like the the not rebirth, but where it, where it is now as a city in that area, like it, it has bounced back. The people are so incredibly proud of like what they've been able to accomplish and being there it like as an American on the 20th anniversary was truly incredible. Uh, and then you like, you know, we were walking around and like one thing that really stuck out to me based off of that, <clears throat> the video that Dan and the firefighter did with Marty was like, you know, you're walking by and you're like, you see this, this Burger King. And they're like, this was the Burger King that turned into a morgue for like four months after everything went down. And it's still there. It's still Burger King. And like, just to think about that, <laughs> that that Burger King oh, was God. a morgue. You know what I mean? And and like to see it now, like completely revitalized. I mean, I think that's something that's completely overlooked that nobody understands the pure logistics behind something like this when you've got almost 3,000 bodies and pieces, you know, two buildings just came down and you've got blocks of rubble and soot. And now you're like, like I just, after watching that video, you know, uh, we all kind of saw it for the first time at the Crenshaw Youth Summit when we were there speaking and they played it right before we got it. Like, like again, it was kind of a, a little bit of a surprise because yeah. it's like, oh, we're going to have you guys up to talk about, you know, making funny videos and 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 making the coffee company. And then we watched that video and it's like, all right, there you guys go. It's like, oh, well, this really brought this down. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's, I it got me to thinking just about the logistics piece of, okay, I'm standing right there as the dust settles. Where do you even begin? Like moving one brick at a time, yeah. digging through, you know, I'm sure there were many survivors. Like I, I, we'd have to look up the data, but like just by pure luck of a pocket in the, in the collapse, you know, a pillar or beam or something that gave someone just that enough space to not be crushed to death. But even then, like you're going through that for weeks, weeks, picking man. out people. 
And, 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 and then what had, do you do? All it was was that they had to move all that stuff out by hand. They had the bucket brigade, dude. Like that's that was the only means for so long that they had to like actually move the rubble out, you know. And so they have guys from power and cable and and you know every utility business in the area to come and like start cutting stuff up. But they were just moving it out. They were in a chain, just like the old military style, and they were just putting everything in buckets and trying to get it out and just for days on end. But, but you can imagine like those guys who are down there that morning of, and like you really, somebody posted uh, an image of that, um, like their alarm clock where it was like the, the time the first tower was stuck, the second tower and then when they fell Collapses. and it happened so fast, like everything was on the ground. I uh, would 10 Oh seven. I think it was. Wow. And then like all of those guys who were in a first responder capacity, like they didn't sleep. That's what, And then that's the next things I was thinking is like, you're a firefighter that survived. Like you're working for the next six months. Yeah. Like that's brutal. The whole thing, man. Like I, I have so much respect and love for all those guys that had to go through that. And like, I didn't, I didn't realize the first, um, FDNY casualty from the whole thing uh, was because uh, one of the guys that jumped out of the one of the towers landed on a firefighter, and that was the first casualty. And it was just days of that of dealing with all that stuff, you know. So, what'd you guys do then for the for the uh, anniversary? So what, there was, what was going on that day? Yeah, so uh, we we sponsored um, Denise, who was uh, a widow of uh, FTNY, uh, who, was, who was killed on 9-11. And she moved, she did a movement from uh, Boston Logan Airport all the way to New York uh, over there. It was 200 and some miles. It was crazy. So we sponsored her, her doing that in honor of her husband. Um, and then we... We did a check donation through the fund uh, to the tune of 100K oh, yeah. for the FDNY Foundation. Uh, and then we were able to, uh, to go down there. And I have, you know, meeting all these, these firefighters, like, they're, they're just us. Like, it's yeah. just us just doing a different <laughs> job. You know what I mean? So, like, you, you have this, like, intrinsic bond with all these guys. And it's really cool. Uh, going down to O'Hara's, which is the, the bar that's right next to Engine 10, uh, which is right next to the trade center there. Uh, it, it is like every firefighter from every city in America is all there to honor this event and everything that's going down. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's different when you're there and you see these people who are participating in this, like never forget mentality. Like a lot of people, you know, say that and, and it's good, but like to go there and to be around these people who like are tied to this, memorial and this like remembering and, and living for these guys moving forward. And then there was this, uh, they do it every year, but this year was by far the biggest where they get a yeah. contingent of, you know, people from every military branch together, uh, FDNY, the <clears throat> NYPD all get together and there's this huge bagpipe ceremony <laughs> that moves around O'Hare's and engine 10. And like, there were so many people there. And you just like, you feel this in your soul, like this memorial and to be down there for that, man, I, I would say it's something I wish every American could 
could witness and participate in, Shut you know? Down. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> you even think about that. It, 20 years old, those guys that were on the ground for that are the, the, the leadership in these, in these companies now. Yeah. And they're old, they're broken. But also too, those are those guys that all the new firefighters come to. It's like the one, you know, when I came in, it was the guys that jumped into Panama. Like when I was going through TACP school, the only dudes that had saw combat were the guys that were in Panama. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh man, dude. Yeah. I actually went to war or it's like, same thing with these guys, like young firefighters coming in for years, the dudes that were there for September 11th, that was our war. Yeah. I, I got a weird one for you. So, uh, there's a guy that I was deployed with, uh, who's now a major and he's, he's working over at the Naval Academy now. Um, I, I run into him and he, he's like, Hey man, I, you, you got to meet this, this, uh, FDNY guy. Uh, he's at a engine 67 and, uh, he's like, he, he watched your documentary and I'm just going to let him tell the story to you. But I ended up running into him right outside of Harris and he's like, yeah, man, I, I watched your documentary. Uh, when I was like still in high school, just out of high yeah. school. And he's like Matthew Abate's story. And Matt Abate is like the, one of the pivotal characters. And he was like this, this guy that, you know, he was like the epitome of the like go-getter Marine. And he's like, Matt, Matt's story inspired me so much. I ended up joining the Marine Corps. Uh, and then I ended up in the same areas that we were in in Sangin, and he worked with some of the same guys I was with in three five fighting over there. And he gets out and becomes a, a New York firefighter. <laughs> and like, we're shaking hands at ground like, zero 20 years later. We're like, <laughs> wow, man. It was, I know. I, I was like, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Now. It was weird. A couple weeks ago, I posted, you know, charms, our old, uh, you know, intern that we had in the early art 15 days while he was in college, he was an ROTC cadet at, I believe New Mexico State. Oh, yeah, and, uh, you know, he graduated Ranger School recently and now he's deployed in Syria and he's a, a FO, Forward Observer Officer. And when I had put that thing up, I was like, tell us, you know, where you're at in your military careers and how, and to see these stories. If you go read some of these comments on that post, like there's guys that saw us as teenagers almost 10 years ago and now they're on their third enlistment. Look, yeah. some guys said they came in right after they saw some of our first videos and then, you know, did a whole enlistment and is enlisted. Now they're officers. Like, like the fucking stories are crazy. I also just don't think I comprehend how much time has passed in between there and how far someone could be with their career if they had started back when Navy SEAL versus <laughs> Ranger rap battle. I know, out. I know. Like, because it really hasn't been that long for you. Uh, but it's it's been a it's been a decade for me, and it, it just doesn't it doesn't seem like it's been that long. You know, it still feels like it was yesterday. Like well, I could throw it back on and get back into it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got yeah. I finally hung it up in in the end of 2017. So it, it's still that still doesn't seem that long ago. And also, I finally got off restriction from Instagram, so I can go live again. I was live last night. What did you get there, restricted I, for? Dude, I don't know. Probably because it said I was cyberbullying. And all I do is respond to people making stupid comments. And I respond, you know, not politely, but I get in trouble for cyberbullying. But oh. they were, I was live last night. They're giving me shit for my nose. Saying, what are you doing? Cocaine and shit. No, 
I am deathly allergic to cats and my children require <laughs> at least 14 fucking cats in the other room for them to survive, I guess. So my entire life is me just constantly rubbing my eyes and my nose when I am at home because of the amount of cats the children need to, to go about their day. They need so many cats. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I, I don't know that I would put up with that. It was just, they Somehow have to, have, you know, they need the cats. I, I can take Claritin. I just forgot to do it. Like as soon as we started this, I'm sitting here going, oh God. And here we are. Here we are with the cats. Uh, so yeah, that's, that sounds like I would love to go up there. I want to go to Engine 10, but I want to wait until all the fucking COVID stuff is over. I don't want to travel anywhere anymore because it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. like now you never know. It's like, and then people assault you like, Again, I was like, I was I was in Herbertfield, Florida for a week, which was was awesome. You know, we we uh, did the show with Zach Wild. It's coming out soon, yeah, or it might be out by the time you guys hear this. We don't know. Matt's over there making the schedule in his head. We'll see. Um, and then I headed to New Orleans to shoot a music video, and it's like you go, New Orleans, yeah. So so anywhere else in Louisiana is perfectly normal, but you go into New Orleans, and then it's like, I mean. I tried to get a hotel and they wouldn't let me out of the truck like unless I showed them a vaccination card or something. And I'm like, wait, wait what? They're like, can you prove you're vaccinated? I'm like, no. <laughs> well, it, then you can't stay here. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, you just like everywhere you go now, it's a flip of a coin. Are we, I know. Are we normal here? Are we not? You know, Norway just declassified COVID as just being a common seasonal thing. So it's like, okay, what are, what are we doing? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I wish somebody would. I don't even would, want to talk about it because it's like, no, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then YouTube's going to flag us or something. Oh, they talked about COVID. We got to fucking delete this. Probably. I know. Well, when we were in New York, like everything switched over after 9-11 where they became super strict with everything. Um, it, but when we first got like, nobody cared about masks or vax cards or anything like that. And I think it's more just like the city's just this like overwatching hawk that like the business owners don't really care. They just don't want to get shut down. Yeah. So it creates this weird vibe Circle throughout all of, of the businesses established there. Um, and then some of the, like, so we, we were hopping on an Uber and it was me, Marty and Jamie and we just jumped in. We've been moving around all day. We just jumped in the Uber and um, didn't think anything of it. And like the Uber driver wouldn't let me sit up front, which doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what does it matter if you're, you know, two feet well, behind somebody or two feet Uber, to the right? Like the app but, cracks right. down. Okay. So it, does, it doesn't matter. But um, we, we all completely forgot that we didn't have our masks on. So, so the driver, we booked it through Marty's app. The, the driver reports... Marty as not wearing a mask. And so <laughs> in order to like get his app cleared through Uber is Marty has to send a photo of himself wearing a mask <laughs> into the Uber app to clear his name. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, Great justification. Okay. There. Whatever. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, I shot a music video in New Orleans. It was awesome. Use Dream Seeker guys, same guys that we used to produce the last two that you guys saw out there. Uh, the Caveman, 
RTDer. Uh, and uh, what do we call that other one? The fishing. I don't, I don't know. Fishing. We called it RTD boat. RTD boat on our side. Of <laughs> yeah, things, but the thing but... is, is what we don't remember, what we don't think about is RTD is a daily acronym to us. No one else understands what that is. Well, no, but I think we need, <laughs> I think we need to normalize it specifically when like, because uh, like our new cold brews coming out in the in the cardboard yeah. cans, right? Yeah. Because oh, it looks of great. Shortages in every material that exists on the planet now. Yeah, supply um, chain so issues. So we're eventually going to get to that point where we have the uh, the cold brew and like the wine boxes. Oh yeah. And I think we just need to do like uh, at least one of them have that branding on it that's like kind of an homage to the MRE, but it's yeah. like coffee ready it's to just drink. This, it's just this color, the, you know, the off brown yeah. pink. Yeah. Color, which I MRE bag color. That's a crayon. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. That you can't eat. <laughs> I can try. I can try. Oh, we can't stop you. Who knows? No, you can't. Uh, so yeah, I got back. What from, song did you do for the music video? Uh, it's a new s- single we're putting out called Richter with the band this Saturday. Uh, and we featured Phil Labonte on it, which is very nice. I mean, that. Uh, the thing was, is Richter was a bucket list item. You know, uh, the band that I that I sing with and and play with is called This Saturday. The they I originally had met them in two thousand nine at a battle of the bands, and I was there to provide the winner of this contest uh, a music video. But I chose them and like kind of told the judges to fuck off. And yeah, like, I was like, these guys are. They were called Drayton Sawyer back then in Pensacola, Florida. And I was like, these guys are awesome. I want to hang out with them and I want to do that music video. And uh, me and Gary Stevens ended up doing uh, the music video for them called Machetes vs. Machines, which, uh, you know, their band's name is Drayton Sawyer, which is an homage to the Leatherface. Yeah. Um, and they just, they had a bunch of really cool, hard metal songs uh, that that all kind of followed like a horror movie-esque type thing. Like one of their songs uh, that we're, we're actually redoing. Or, well, I'll get to get to that in a second, but it's called 5,000 Pounds of Respect. It's, it's about yeah. Jaws pretty much. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I started hanging out with them a lot. And uh, later down the road, they, they started a new metal band called Arson Wave. And if you guys have been following us for a while, Arson Wave did the Bitch I Operate metal version. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about two years ago, they all got back together. You know, they all have businesses of their own. Uh, so they all are, are, are employed and it, like they, they have their, their kind of vision and focus and stuff for the things right. that they're building in their life. Music was always a fun passion to, for them. It's not that, oh, I have to do this. And this is the, the only thing that defines me and things like that. Because when you get into that, you get into, you know, four people that just you aren't aligning their, their vision and goals, which never works for a band. But when you got everybody that's like, we're doing this for fun, that helps. And they sent me one of their singles under the new name this Saturday. I was like, this is so awesome. I want in. And they were like, okay. So they had featured me on a song and I was like, I want in all the time. And they were like, okay. And then we wrote the album Neat. And it really, it's like, we're jumping genres all the time. Cause it's like, we're playing the music we grew up with and loved. So a lot of punk, uh, a lot of kind of ska, a lot of blink pop punk, 
uh, census fail, yeah. uh, story of the year style, scary kids, scaring kids. You know, we there's literally every song on the album need. I could say, oh, that's the scary kids, scary kids song. That's the Blink song. That's cool. this. And it's been a fun thing. But these guys, you know, they came out and hung out with us at Freedom Fest in 2015, 16, uh, where we had All That Remains. All That Remains is one of their favorite bands. Like they all had a story about how an All That Remains song shaped their music career, you know, to this day or shaped their lives and things like that. So when I got to introduce them to Phil and the band, they were so excited. And then now as we finish Neat and put that out as our album, it was like, okay, what what can we do next? Phil had linked me up. Uh, with a very, very well-known producer that produces most of uh, Lamb of God's music. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like, okay, if we're if we're going to go with a, a big-name producer, let's ask Phil if he would join in on the song. And right. once we got right. it to a point, you know, I showed it to him, and he was like, wow, I really like, I like this chorus. I like this. This song is really, really good. Josh Wilbur, by the way, is, is the producer on this. Um, He's like, yeah, I'm in. So like telling those guys, they're like, oh my God, we are going to be, you're, you're talking yeah, about this dream come local true, Pensacola metal band 11 years later now yeah. doing a single with Phil Labonte featured on it. Like, and then knowing uh, Joey and Connor and the boys from Dream Seeker Productions, these guys, you know, produce a lot of our stuff, but they're also in a band called Stepping Sideways that I've talked about a lot. So having them produce the music video and going kind of all out for this, it was like, let's just do it. This is this is one of those things that becomes this this memory forever. And we're going to have this music video and this song that will live forever that we got to do. So we just went for it. And it was awesome. So the song is called Richter. Uh, the song will drop on iTunes and, and Spotify on October 2nd. Music video should be shortly after that. We're in post-production now. It was really fun. You did a lot of green screen stuff for the music video. Yeah, because yeah? it's a it's an apocalyptic thing. Oh, okay. So we did okay. we did do a, a a green set so they can put in the backdrops of kind of end of the world type thing. Uh, and then when you see the B story or the storyline of the music video, it's very very interesting. Yeah, because <laughs> it will show you what the song is actually about. Because you think the song going into it is about a typical subject, you know, love, lost, woman, whatever. But then as the music video reveals, oh, wait, this is way different than what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and when can we expect this to... I would say in the next, like, three weeks. Okay. Like, like Pretty quick turnaround. Uh, yeah, then. we just yeah. got to get that music video done, get everything get everything hashed out, and then we'll be pushing it out as, as, fast, as, as fast as that thing's done. It's going up. Okay. Oh, well. So... Yes, I got back from Louisiana, you know, after being accosted uh, by (laughs) everyone in New Orleans while I was trying to stay there uh, and finally came back to Texas where things are normal. So that's nice. Uh, You weren't here, though. No, I was uh, I did my stint down in Mexico. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're just going to throw that way. Just a little little carrot of information. (laughs) The big Mexico trip. The the big Mexico trip, um, which was uh, the next the next natural uh, evolution in um, the uh, psychedelic exploration. Uh, psychotherapy, psychotherapy actually is a is a 
new word going term. around. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's even in the last two months, there's been some incredible breakthroughs. They're actually going to start testing with active duty uh, using MDMA and uh, as uh, assisted with counseling. So MDMA assisted yep. counseling, they're going to be testing this. Uh, I was speaking with uh, one of our wounded warriors out in in Fort Walton Beach that is very deep in on this. Uh, he lost his ability to walk about 10 years ago, 12 years ago in a, a Humvee accident. But he was saying, you know, that recently they have discovered uh, by moving some molecules around, uh, they've got some MDMA that is only lasting for 45 minutes. So for you to be able to do uh, a run for 45 minutes during a therapy session, mm -hmm. like now they're developing the science around what this stuff is doing yeah. and everything. Yep. So psychotherapy is blowing up right now. Texas passed uh, a law that veterans are going to be able to start uh, being part of medical studies and things like that, where they can start really figuring yeah. out what this stuff does. So it's looking like, uh, so they've got MDMA to a phase three uh, yeah. clinical trial point thus far. So, which is uh, the last step before, uh, after you do that and it's successful, it can go into uh, implementation on that front. Um, but it's looking like 2023 MDMA is going to, you're going to be able to, uh, go and and get this treatment with yeah. with a counselor of some type um into backup like this isn't I, I think we need to preface it and you did this talk recap in your mexico trip like this isn't um i was still green then though i know a lot more now than i did then yeah so, so jumping back in this will be good um it, and just like what what's the why behind doing this type of stuff obviously um anybody that has talk to a veteran or kind of hovered in this space of, you know, how, how are people handling things or, or, or moving past uh, some of the stuff that they experienced? It's, I, it's just a really good way to tee up veterans to be self-reliant in, in their growth post Well, it's actually combat. fixing them. We're not just, we're not numbing them. You know, you start looking at, right. you start looking at these SSRIs and everything that, that is the automatic answer to this. That's just a fake Let's just, let's just pretend you're happy. It's not fixing anything. You know, these psychotherapies, these medicines are promoting neurogenesis, meaning we're promoting brain growth. It's actually working inside there where your brain, it stops, it stops healing itself. It stops growing after the age of 24. Mm -hmm. So it's like all this damage that you've done post the age of 24 has not been fixed. Your brain just shuts it down and says, ooh, this is broken over there. We're just not going to go over there anymore. And it's just unused space. Um, and these things that we've been diving into the last few months are things that light that space back up, bring the power back on, bring the water and shows your brain, hey, you got an extra 6,000 square feet over here we can use again. And as you, and now what the holdup is, why it's taking so long is because when done in the wrong manner, these things can be abused. Absolutely. Like, like anything else. Yes. When you use psilocybin, MDMA, Ibogaine that we'll talk about here in a minute, when you use them the correct way, they will help you. If you fuck them off 
and disrespect them and use them as a, hey, I'm heading out. It would be real fun to be like, no, you're not doing anything for yourself at that point. No, no. And it's kind of hurting uh, the overall uh, thing that we're trying to accomplish yeah. within the community, which is it was getting people better uh, and to have better brains. But yeah, it it grows and it protects your brain receptors. Like it's incredible what some of this stuff can do. Um, and whether you're talking psilocybin, ibogaine, or <clears throat> ayahuasca with the DMT, like each of these things are kind of their own track and implementation. And um, I, I think that we're, as far as um, you know, people who are veterans coming out and talk about this, um, I, I really feel like we're on the cutting edge of this stuff as far as like it, it's going to be a really big thing in a few years of how people are, are moving forward and, and getting better and getting better brains. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, it's also for us to get there requires guys like us going down, doing them, doing the work afterwards, talking about it professionally and keeping the conversation moving forward to everybody about the benefits, mm -hmm. not about, oh, how do we abuse this? How is this? But it, it, it's just, it's phenomenal. You know, now, I mean, I don't think maybe on this one, we don't go too deep. I think the other two should be around when we really go deep dive into, into what uh, you experienced down in Mexico. Because now there's two of us. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're, we're, we're multiplying. It is. I, I think it's probably due of uh, a whole episode in and on its own, just going through those experiences. And plus, honestly, looking back on it, I wish, I mean, I'm glad I did the show when I did the show, uh, just because I needed to get everything out while it was fresh. But as you get time, because this stuff is working for 90 days and you are still 60 days away from seeing the peak of, of it. And when you see that peak, that's when you, You've got to go, oh, wow. Oh, wow. This yeah. really did something. Yeah. yeah. And it's easy to like come out in this, this honeymoon stage, like, oh my God, I feel so. But like, it's really about the implementation of this stuff over time because it's, it's easy to feel like this, oh my God, I'm reborn and refreshed. But there's like anything else, there's a ton of work. It's not a magic that no. goes into like, this. And it's really about figuring out based off of how this stuff makes you feel, uh, integrating a different way to live within your life and different practices that you need to do in order to like maintain this. Like it's, it's like being gifted a new like layer in your brain. Well, I, and here's you, how you have I put to it, not mess it up. Is going out to Mexico, you you're given the race car and they started it for you. All right. You still got to get in the race and win it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's up to you. Yeah. But everything else was taken care of. So go. Yeah. And, <laughs> and maintain the maintenance of yeah. your car. Yes over long periods of time this, so that it can last you. It, it, it does realign you though, to be conscious on all the, because I, I think that's a major problem in veterans. They don't realize all the contributing factors to why they feel the way that they do. Well, if you've completely lost all purpose, you have no, no drive in the current career that you're in, or you're not passionate about anything. You're not doing anything when you, when you aren't working and then you're drinking a lot, you're on a depressant, you know, I'm at uh, almost 140 days completely alcohol free. I'm running again. I'm down 45 pounds. Like 45? I, yeah. Wow. I changed everything yeah. just because it was like, hey, I felt super, super lucky that I got to go down there. So coming back, I had to, I had to take it all in. You know, prior to prior to going down there, like if you asked me the last time I read a book, uh, never. I think the only thing I've I've 
would constitute reading maybe as I listened to Ready Player One like four years ago, just because <laughs> everybody was talking about how yeah. good it was. And me and Dave had to drive to Los Angeles uh, and that sucked. So we listened to Ready Player One, but now I'm reading five books at a time. Like, like habits have changed. Mm. And just the me wanting to go forward in this, in the psychotherapy realm and become an expert on it, you know, in the evenings, I'm listening to lectures on the brain, like on, on the effects of trauma and the yeah. outer cortex. You like, become so obsessed with the brain. <laughs> yeah. Like you just, because you're yeah. like, wait a minute. Like Ibogaine shows you that first second that it kicks in, how powerful your head is. Mm-hmm. And you, you go, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's one of those like awesome byproducts of this. In addition to what we're talking about, it's like, you, you experience all this stuff. You're like, I didn't know I was capable of all this. So it's incredibly empowering to like have some of these visionary experiences come out of it and feel a certain way that you do like, man, I've never felt this way before. And I was like, what we were talking earlier. And I was like, I'm trying to describe what it's like on the five MEO. Like when, when you, when you drop out of your body, I'm, I was trying to explain it, but like, you said it really well. You're just like, you're, you're, you become unplugged. Yeah. And there's this whole new layer of life that you didn't know existed in everything. Like you have so much appreciation. Everything is so beautiful. You're just so happy to exist. And you're so grateful for all these interactions and the connectivity that we have as humans. Like if we collectively, like the whole entire human race just did this all at once. Like yes. It would change. It would change the, the entire world. world. It would like in one fell swoop, like it would change the world. Now, getting to that point where that's ever a possibility, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but like it it really could. And I think that anybody who's done that would agree with that sentiment. At least our world leaders. Yeah. Like if you have, if you have the decision-making power to essentially launch a nuclear strike, you should be, you should definitely be an experience that you, that you run through. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And man, it's like we we lost touch with all this stuff somewhere. Like this is ancient. All all of this stuff that we're doing, it's ancient. That's why you don't feel bad about delving into this stuff. It's like our ancestors did this thousands of years ago. And we're just like, it's like we're rediscovering all this stuff. And it's exciting to get into it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things that's so impressive is is how you feel right now. You, You cannot recall feeling like this before. Ever. No, I mean like it's, the brain, it, the brain space, the the focus, the 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 way you breathe, see, hear, everything. Like you just got your head just got a full workover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, I'll uh, so so what I began is is primarily used for these days um, is uh, it's an anti addictive uh, recovery substance. So a lot of people who are on heroin, cocaine. Um, opiates, those, opiates, those yeah. like highly addictive substances. Um, they do this, and it that reset of the brain um, basically uh, regrows those receptors and generates more of them, so that you're not, you don't have that draw towards uh, these addictive substances the way that you used to. Now, a lot of times, people who are addicted to opiates or so of that nature, they have to go and do it multiple times just because that draw is so strong. Um, but for myself. Um, you know, you always go in, like you have a few intentions going into this stuff um, so that you sync with, you know, how, what you want to pull out of this. And, and one of like, I've been, I've been doing nicotine 
probably since I was 14, 15 years old, uh, whether that's smokeless tobacco. Every hour, by the way. Yes. Like to, to an exorbitant <laughs> degree. twice an like, hour. Everybody that knows me I, my whole life, like, you know, I started chewing when I was in high school and then, you know, I was smoking in the Marine Corps and then I, you know, switched over. Like I thought I was fixing myself going over to nicotine pouches. And it was like, it, it just like, it got so annoying to me as a human, like I was so ready to be over this and I tried quitting and it's just like the draw back to it. So annoying. Um, and I came out of this and it was just like, it was poof. It was just gone. gone. Yeah. Like there was just no draw to do that. No, people ask me all the time, like, can I drink around you or anything? I'm like, yeah, it, I, I have just, a bar in the house that people drink at every evening. It doesn't bother me. Like yeah. I have, there's nothing. I don't even remember what it tastes like. And when I do think about when you start hitting that hill where you start getting buzzed, like I get sick because I don't like thinking about being impaired anymore. As weird as that is, because I've, I've been dancing on the other side of the spectrum yeah. for four months now where I'm fostering brain growth. I'm, I'm focused on, on being focused. I'm, I'm over here on this side, growing new neuro, neuroreceptors, cleaning out my neuropathways, like completely revamping my outer cortex, my head. Bringing back memories, Mem the memory that's, that, that, that has come back, both short-term and long-term, is incredible. And then, so, so when I think about going over here into the impairment, destruction, destroying, you know, numbing, it's like, I don't want to be over there. Yeah. I like it over here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you like the, like, you understand, like, that it was just, alcohol is just like, it's, it's covering stuff up. It, it, it's just I like, I feel it's, like that was designed. Like now I feel like it was designed that way. I feel like in 1921, when we abolished, you know, when we, when we pulled the, the, the thing on abolishing alcohol, like, I think that that was when the, 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 the leaders were like, no, 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 no. We want them to be slow, dumb and numb. Like, you know, <laughs> who, who knows? And like that, you know, alcohol's crushed, like a, a lot of cultures and stuff. And like, Man, I just, I don't, like, I just feel so much like I just don't have, like, the, a desire to, like, part, like, you just feel like it's a toxin. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you just don't want to put that nasty in your body anymore. You just feel different. Remember, this 30 days is crucial. You can't do anything crazy in this 30 days. Otherwise, it could lock in. Nothing crazy? Like, well, like, like, you can't sneak a dip or, or... Or do any shots or anything like that. Oh, because no. anything anything that you revert back to while you're still wide open from the Ibogaine, you you want it to Yeah, there's just I there's got a no, thirty day grace period that there's, you there's enough there's no desire there yeah. to sneak anything in, you know. Well it's great. I mean, yeah. like I said, I think we wait a couple, you know, at least thirty days and then do do your whole experience because I, I definitely want you to see where you're gonna be at in a month because you're you you're pretty much on step two and you have about 30 of them. Yeah. So when you get up there, you start going, oh, you start really going, oh wow. Oh yeah. wow. This is this is this is very, very magical. Yeah. Um and the other thing I want to do, uh, you mentioned the the memory stuff, both short term and long term. Um, I, I want to figure out, you know, developing sort of like a simple test to like see where that's at, where that's at and like, see if, you know, we can improve that over time and like do a base lane. Like, so we go through something and then we can put other people through that. Um, 
It was when I was uh, when I was going to Michigan State. I did a I did a study with the psych department there, mm-hmm. uh, where I would go and I would I would do yoga and meditation once a week, and then I would go into the psych department and get hooked up with the the EEG uh, electroencephalogram, which is like the cap you got with all the electrodes on yeah. it, and then I would run through a series of tests every week, um, and just through and attached to any of the the psychedelic therapy that we've been going through, like breath work is one of the most important things within it. So I was kind of doing a a, a precursor to uh, having a psychedelic uh, implementation into uh, a form of treatment uh, a long time ago, like way before I even knew any of these guys. And over the course of that nine weeks, I understood how important breath work was uh, into not only uh, a performance when it comes to brain cognition, but uh, improving your short-term memory. So just sitting down and working through uh, breath work uh, prior to trying to do a task can significantly increase your ability to do that function uh, in the moment. Yeah. So uh, as a result of this study, like I improved my short-term working memory just by doing this, this breath work and yoga Im- implementation like 50%. And all the doctors at the psych department were like, we didn't even, a lot of people don't even think that that's possible to improve it that much. And and that's just so, so that now we start to like layer some of this stuff on top of each other. And like, now we're talking about like a true implementation about how to evolve as humans and where we can be in 50 years when it comes to this stuff. Like it's exciting, man. Yeah. It's fun. And and I and I look forward to seeing where where we can take all this stuff. But I would like to like sit down and do some some testing on stuff. I'm doing a brain scan. And do um, some more reading too. Like that's yeah. the thing. Like jump into some of the books between now and 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 our next show when we touch on this. So yeah. we can go back and forth. No, I plan on it. I plan on it. Well, awesome. Thanks for uh thanks for coming out today. And you know. We've got new ECS stuff dropping uh, here in October. We've got all kinds of fun, you know, the pumpkin spice. Uh, new video, you know, new music video coming out from both me. Another one coming out from Matt that should be done fairly shortly soon too. And uh, you know, what else we got going on? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be heading down to Florida at some point to be working with the Hoonigan boys. Yes, yes, we will um, be doing something with Hoonigan soon. I saw it got pushed a little bit. It got pushed a little bit, but. That's all right. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we uh, we got our Veterans Day video. Yes. Coming up that we got to yes. film for. Um, we're probably going to end up doing a couple. But uh, going to bring back the the musical implementation on Steel here pretty soon. Oh, I like that. Yes, yeah. I can't wait. Fourth of July next year is going to be amazing. Uh, and next year alone is going to be amazing. When you guys see our new lineup of who's joining the team we can't announce yet, but we are super excited for that Jan 1 to hit because you guys will be tickled. Oh, yeah. And uh, freaking BJ just won. Yes. First place uh, on Sunday's race and I believe third overall. We need to check the standings. Uh, but BJ is doing great. So make sure you roll over to uh, his Instagram. Congratulate him for killing it now that he's come over to Team Black Rifle. Thank you guys for joining us. This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Doodles.
concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy! <laughs>